Everyone has a great story. Uh, some of us have tragedies that are a part of our story. Some of us have a comedy aspect to our story. Some of us even have like a romance novel piece to our story. Think about it for a second. Just take a second to think about it. For you at home, think about it. What makes up a good story? Or maybe a great story? What makes up a, a great story? If you want to fascinate a child with a great story, you can do no better than to make that child the central character in a story. We probably all are familiar with Winnie the Pooh. And that Winnie the Pooh was simply a character that was whimsical, that involved bedtime stories of the author talking to his son. Well, God wrote a story for, for all of us. It's his love journal. Many of us this morning are holding his love journal for us. There, uh, it's a collection of stories that God has chosen to tell us about who he is and what he does. And for us, maybe the next few months as we kind of shift our, our focus from what's happening in our world, maybe we just need to get recaptured by, by God's story. And so what I want to do for the next couple minutes is just read you a, a, a narrative of God's story. So you might want to close your eyes. If you're awake enough this morning, you can close your eyes, throw yourself into the story and then I'm going to talk to you about a piece of the story from Genesis 22, okay? So just listen to the story. The story begins as God, the creator of all, prepared the earth for a place to, for life. God filled the earth with plants and water and all kinds of creatures. The most special of these creatures were humans, formed in God's own likeness, in his image, God trusted the humans to care for all of the creation on the earth. He walked closely with them. He showed them the best way to live. Under God's reign, the humans were cared for and protected. In spite of this close relationship, the humans began a pattern of rebelling against God and his ways. This broke God's heart. In God's perfect goodness, God could not ignore their rebellion so he removed his care and protection from them. Now separated from God, humans became subject to sickness, to pain, to death. Determined to restore his creation, God chose a man named Abraham and his descendants to be his special people. God made a profound promise. God called it a covenant. And he made it with them, promising that he would extend their blessing, his blessing and restoration to the entire earth. These special people, called the Israelites, were chosen to show the world what it means to live closely with God. And God gave them a beautiful land where they enjoyed great blessings and rest, uh, great blessings growing into a large nation. But it was not long before the Israelites struggled again and rebelled against God's way. Choosing to live outside of God's care and protection, the Israelites encountered great pain and slavery from other nations. In spite of their selfish ways, God continued to give his people hope, promising to send a rescuer to bring them back to himself. Enter 
A man named Jesus, his life, his teachings, his miracles, all proved who he said he was. He was God's son in human form. Jesus always chose to live in God's way. He never rebelled against him. He showed the world how to live closely with God. He called people to follow him and return to living under God's reign once again. Jesus chose a surprising way to help humans return to God. He took on the required punishment for all of their rebellion. Because he had lived perfectly, God allowed him to stand in as a substitute. After suffering a brutal death, Jesus miraculously came back to life three days later and was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. Jesus challenged those who believed in him to live like he did and extend God's blessing and restoration to the world. Then Jesus sent God's Spirit to live in the souls of humans and give them strength to live this out. This was the beginning of the church, a community of people across the globe who would follow in Jesus' way and share in his mission to restore the world. The story continues with us. We are called to be God's agents of restoration and love, a new kind of people who will show the world what it means to live in God's reign and return to the way of life they were created for. But the story doesn't end there. One day, God will complete his his mission of restoring the world, reigning over the earth once again, returning everything back to the way it was created to be. God will live with his people again, And they will celebrate his greatness for eternity. All right, now you can open your eyes. As you listen to that narrative, what images came to your mind? What did you see? Take a minute just to wrestle through that. What images? What things did you see? The interesting piece with with God's story is, As we enter into God's story that's unfolding all around us, we notice things for the first time. Maybe there was a word that stood out for you. So today, I'm going to start this journey that's going to last five weeks. We're going to take six weeks because Terry's going to be with us next week. And we're going to look at some, some changes that God makes in his story for us. Like today, we're talking about how we journey from death to life. We are once dead, and how now do we become alive people? Genesis 22, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read an entire story just to kind of understand that for us. So we understand that, that, that life is not infinite, that at some point we're going to die. But as Christ followers, the difference for us is that the story of salvation And the story of God is completely the opposite. We move from being dead to being alive. Everyone loves a story. That's why we love to read books and we go to movies. Let me just share a few stats with you. In in 2003, there there was 300,000 books that were published. Okay, so 2003, that's not that long ago. In 2007, 400,000 books. In 2009, 1 million. In 2012, 15 million. And now they forecast about 40 million books. Well, 
we all are holding the most important book. If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Let me give you a little background before we get there. It'll be on the screen, so don't worry about it. But in Genesis 11, we see that Abraham is being tested by his, his, his father. Okay, so that's Genesis 11. Genesis 14, Abraham's being tested by his nephew Lot. In Genesis 16, Genesis 16 he's tested by his wife. In Genesis 21, there's conflict that's testing him. And in Genesis 22, we see him being tested by the love that he has for his son. Now, some of your Bibles might have this word. It, it says, as a title, the binding of Isaac. It's usually told from Abraham's perspective. It's this great display of, of faith. Abraham was a deep man of faith, but how about Isaac's perspective? So today, as we read this from Genesis 22, I want you to not be focused on Abraham I want you to focus in on Isaac. So see Isaac. See it through Isaac's eyes. Here we go. The story of God. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responded, Here I am. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region. Of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I'm going to show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded the donkey. He took with him two of his servants, his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that, that God had told him about. Okay, now get your eyes focused on Isaac, okay? On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey and, and me and the boy are going to go over there. We will worship first and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, Abraham responded, Yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them continued on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then he reached out with his hand and took the knife to, to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld me from your son, your only son. You see, Genesis 22 isn't just Isaac's story. It's actually a story for all of us sitting here. 
We can see ourselves in his story. We can find ourselves in, in this story. We're going to look at, at three things today, but let me give you just a little narrative on the side. If this was Matt and I'm Isaac, I would have been hopping off the altar. I would not have been trusting my dad. I would have quickly jumped off that altar. And so one of the things that I deeply admire about Isaac is his ability to trust his dad. And we're going to see that that ability, what God's showing us, is that God is actually asking us to trust him, our father. So when we look at Abraham and Isaac, it's one of the very first times that we start to see God the father and Jesus. And so in Genesis 22, we start to see that there's actually the plan for the rescuer. All right, so we're going to look at three things. They're going to come on your screen. They're going to say this. Life is an uncertain journey. We know that. Death appears to be certain. And salvation has been provided. Well, let's jump into that first one. And there are quick thoughts today. Life is an uncertain journey if you went back to Genesis 22 and, and read those first eight verses, you would see Abraham going, here am I, God going, I need you to do this. Abraham organizing himself in such a way that he's ready to do this. Sometimes God asks us to, to do things that aren't so certain, that seem to not make sense in this world. I read this story, uh, June 15th, 1957, a, a new gold and white 1957 Plymouth Belvedere sport coupe. Some of you can remember that car was buried in a time capsule in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was going to be open 50 years later to celebrate Oklahoma's centennial as a state. They had high hopes in 2007 what they might find. But unfortunately, the, times ca the time capsule had leaked. The car was in four feet of standing water. Most of its contents were, ru were ruined, revealing a lot of rust, rotting upholstery, collapsed suspension, and flat tires. So as the news was watching this, you can just imagine the, the gasp of people. Items that they thought, let's bury them in the car, included jugs of leaded gasoline and a change of oil. There was documentation for a savings account valued at $100 in 1957, which now had maybe been worth just a little bit over $1,000. They had great plans. They had great ideas in 1957. But in reality, their plans led to nothing. There was nothing to show for their great ideas. For you, I want you to wrestle through this this morning. How many great plans have you and I made in life that have led to nothing or something that was not expected? Life is uncertain. The, the story of the Bible is all about a journey. You're going to see this over these next few weeks. A journey where we're trying to find Jesus and a re, in reality, a journey to actually find what our contribution is in it. Let me say that again. 
As we journey through this, our desire is to understand more about who Jesus is and why Jesus was sent. And on the other side is to understand what our contribution is in it. Abraham was from Ur, and he was going to be moved to a land that God was going to show him. That was in Genesis chapter 12. It was unexpected. Abraham would have liked to stay home. Joseph, from the favorite son, to being a slave living in a prison, to ultimately being the second in charge. That was unexpected. Israel, wanting freedom, but stuck in wandering and the battle for the land that God had promised. That was unexpected. Daniel, from being captive to being the second in charge uh, in the land, then ending up in the lion's den. That was unexpected. Isaac, the story that we read today was on a journey. Just going with my dad. Dad, where's the, where's the lamb? It's unexpected. Three days of, of walking with his dad, interacting with his dad, there would have been much bonding. There was much he didn't understand. There was much he didn't know which was ahead of him. For us as individuals and then us as a church, where will our journey lead? Unexpected. Uncertain. As you wrestle today, I want you to wrestle through this piece of what is unexpected, what is an unexpected piece of your story? What is something in your story that, that you might look at and go, man, that was that was bad. But God's turning it into something good. The reality is that. No man knows what the days are going to look like in this life. Life is an unexpected journey. Well, let's move from that unexpected or uncertain journey to actually death appears certain. Okay, there's the certainty. Genesis 22, if you go back there, verses 9 through 10 say this. When they reached the place that God told him about, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Here's matology, don't put it in your notes. I am sure Abraham's moving very slow here. I'm sure this is not a quick, let's build the altar, let's get it done. This is a slow, methodical, as he sees his son in the distance. And uh, Abraham moves to, to bind his son Isaac. He lays him on the altar on top of the wood. He reaches out his hand and he took his knife to slay his son. Kind of reminds me of Jonah being thrown into the sea. But then God sent the whale to save him. Or like Peter and the disciples in the storm with Christ sleeping in the back of the boat. And Peter's proclaiming, Lord, save me. Well, Let's go back to that Genesis 22. Let's grab some background from the story. How old was Isaac? I, I think we get a little glimpse of it in verses 5 and 12. He said to the servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. Don't lay a hand, verse 12, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. 
It appears to me that Isaac was younger than the servants, but he was old enough to carry the wood that would consume him. It's interesting for me to think, did his father surprise him? Or maybe Abraham, those three days, was just having a conversation with Isaac. What I love about Isaac is that's really how you and I are called to follow Jesus. Lay on the altar. Don't move. Trust. Did, did Isaac resist? Think about this in, in your life. This is the position that you and I find ourselves in every day. Death is coming to each of us. We can't escape it. How do we deal with it? Listen to, to Romans 5 verse 12. It says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because we've all sinned. Not to be morbid, not to scare us today, but how are we all ready for death? The question might even be better, are we ready for death? Well, let's talk about the greatest gift in this first piece of the story. Salvation has been provided. Genesis 22, verse 11 through 14, we read this, The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham quickly responds like he was waiting for it. Here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear, and that's not a fear like we have of a roller coaster. I know that you trust, you respect, you revere the Lord because you didn't withhold your son, your only son. Abraham looked up there, and in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here's what I love about this story. Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. Some of us know the terminology we've used in church, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let me make this really clear as we start to wrap this up. Faith, which is active, puts its trust in another. Faith that is active puts its trust in another. So the question that we need to wrestle through this morning is simply this. How deep is our faith? Is our faith really shallow in a big God or is our faith really deep in an all-consuming God? For Abraham and Isaac, God provided a ram, a substitute. You see, God wouldn't let a father kill his son. That was going to be God's son, Jesus. And so anytime you read this story of Abraham and Isaac, I want you to picture God the Father and Jesus. Jesus is on the altar. In the same way God provided his son when we needed it the most. Well, let me give you a couple things to walk away with today. You're going to learn a great biblical word. Isaac saw the consecration of his father. He learned that 
that God always has to be placed first. Where is God first in your life? Or is he even close to being first? The word consecration is this. It's a solemn dedication to a special purpose or service. The word consecration literally means to associate with the sacred. Could you imagine if that was said of me? Boy, Matt associates with the sacred. Could that be true of you? Here's the other thing that that Isaac actually learned. So Isaac learned that his father had God first. The second thing that Isaac learned was that his father was incredibly consistent. Isaac saw the consistency of his father. Remember all those little stories I told you about? Genesis 11, this happened. Genesis 12, Genesis 14, Genesis 17, Genesis 20. God didn't change. And God was constantly calling Abraham to step out in faith. And what God was asking Abraham to model to Isaac was that God was to be obeyed regardless of the cost. How consistent is your faith? See, consistency is the mark of a person who trusts in Jesus. And then the third one, Isaac saw the confidence of his father. Isaac quickly learned that God could be trusted regardless of the circumstances. God has provided a savior for us today. That is the father's love for us. It's what God does. God does it faithfully. God does it repeatedly. God does it graciously. That's how God operates. God leads us from death to life. So I'm excited for this little journey we're going to take over the next five weeks. Here's where we're headed. We're headed from freedom to slavery. We're going to look in at Joshua. We're going to study then in in a couple weeks, journey from the victim to actually being victorious. We're going to look at Daniel. We're going to then move to journey from religion to relationship, and we're going to look in at Luke. And then we're going to end with journey from darkness to light, and we're going to study in at John chapter 1. Let me pray for you. I'm going to pray three fancy words over you. I'm going to pray that you would understand the Missio Dei, the mission of God this week, that you would understand the Opus Dei, the work of God this week, and that you, would under, that you would understand the Imago Day that you were created in the image of God this week. Let's pray. God, as my friends journey this week in what you call them to, I pray those three concepts over them. God, may they understand that they're created in the image of God, the Imago Day, and that we're actually image bearers. We're icons to the world. May that be true of my friends this week. And God, I pray that they would understand the Missio Day, that you've called them into the mission of God. And that mission of God is all about reconciliation and restoration. They actually call us to be agents of restoration to a world that desperately needs it. And God, may my friends this week also understand the Opus Day, the work of God that you didn't abandon them, that you've given them the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. And may they, as they go about their week, be involved in your work, knowing that they can do exceedingly more than what we can see with our own eyes. 
Keep them safe. Bring us back next week, whether virtually or in person. We love that you're on this journey with us. We ask all this in your name. Amen.